You're listening to the good. Don't call me Pano. The bad. Absolute. And the rugby. Folded like a deck chair. With Pano, Lord, and the Hask. I don't know what that means. Hello everybody and welcome to a second edition of The Good, The Bad and The Rugby this week. I'm Alex Payne, as per usual. And thankfully, some might say, we have got something a little bit different in this bonus episode. We have built it around the EPCR's nominations for the European Player of the Year. What a tournament it has been. Lots of challenges, but some mega, mega rugby that has been enjoyed by all and a big final to look forward to. And thankfully, we're going to do it in the company of a couple of men who know all about European rugby and are slightly more highbrow than the usual reprobates who sit in the sidecar. Ben, you obviously won the Challenge Cup with Clermont. I am loath to remind you, but there are a couple of lost Heineken Champions Cup finals that go into the equation as well. Brian, I mean, you won everything that there is to win in the game, including a delicious double in the Champions Cup and one of the greats of a generation. Let's start with you, first of all, Brian. How are you? You're looking resplendent, as always. We would expect nothing less. How's life? Thanks, Mr. Payne. Um, my background's not quite as luxurious as yours and Benjamin's. I mean, I don't really have Coupe de Berenice uh, behind me, um, and I'm not quite... I mean, that's what a million-pound painting in the background, Alex. Oh, steady. Um, <laughs> my oh, kids sorry. did it at school, but... Um, uh, yeah, so, sorry, <laughs> sorry, two million-pound painting in the background. Oh, but, dear. yeah, good. Uh, corporate is definitely a different kettle of fish, I think, like all of us, you know, this last year and a half, uh, not traveling, having been forced to the confines of home has been interesting, but it has allowed me to sort of explore my entrepreneurial type of juices that have been flowing. So it's been really exciting. I had to learn that MVP does not mean most valuable player in the business world, rather a minimum viable product, which uh, which is pretty cool. But it's it's been stimulating, invigorating, but challenging at the same time. And I know Benjamin will, will attest to being able to use the skills in rugby but appropriately applied so all good thank you you are both sort of into it in the business world and i just really want to pick up that thread because normally when we pick up with haskell he's an ambassador for durex and he's fighting on social media and tins who we love to bits is so knee deep in all things babies right now tell us a little bit about what you're actually doing because it is it's properly grown up it's hugely impressive i just wonder how much you're enjoying the world of tech fintech and you know a, a bit of the good stuff in there as well, social responsibility. Yeah, I think I think the big the transition period for any professional athlete and Ben will also probably you know support this is one of the most nerve wracking experiences ever. You actually don't know what you're getting into after you've done something you've loved you know for 15, 16 years of your life. So I think the initial step out for me was a a easier one because I got to team up with some schoolmates who started a digital sports marketing agency. We launched a, t- a sort of tech platform that creates a digital CV for players called Matchkit or athletes around the world. And then in 2020, I teamed up with my university roommate um, to launch a fintech company that does an earned wage access model called Pay Me Now that allows people to get access to a percentage of their already earned wages, but sort of to bring about the disconnect between a monthly salary cycle, which is really easy to run from a payroll perspective, but just brings about a disconnect between 
in a country like South Africa, those living on a day-to-day hand-to-mouth environment and doing it socially responsibly. So yeah, it's, it's been exciting. It's been extremely hardcore and having to learn very fast. I still don't code, but being able to give eyes on the platform and, and see the, the real big difference we, we're bringing about has been exceptionally cool. Very cool to hear. I mean, Ben, that, you're shaking your head, but that is, you know, a I champion on the field and a champion off the field as well. It's it's brilliant to and, hear. And, and he's ticked pretty much all the boxes of the hot yeah. topics at the moment in terms of investments. Yeah. So he, fintech you know, or edtech, sustain- and you're absolutely fintech, home and hosed in any, investment any, world. Any tech, anything sustainable and around tech. I mean, you, yeah, you know, Ben, I mean, you've got if a good you, you, I mean, we're happy to chat to you. I know there's a couple of big VCs that you're currently involved in in the, in the UK. So, I mean, if there's an opportunity, I'll happily slide, slide into your DMs after this call. Good. No, but what's, what's absolutely brilliant, and I, I, to be honest, Brian ran around me for most of his career, especially when he was playing for Toulon and stuff. But we had the pleasure to, to meet up a bit for a bit more time and a bit more pleasure um, around the Alternations Cup games. And we were chatting about all that. And I think there's so many guys, and it's, it's hard for everyone, Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. And guys will pick on different sort of avenues or where they can they see themselves fully fulfilling their talent. But there's also one thing that I think everybody's missing is the fact that entrepreneurship is basically sportsmen. Absolutely the same personality. You need to get back up. You need to have a long term sort of vision, but be able to, to work day in, day out. You absolutely need to, to get, dust yourself off you know, and, and get back up after a defeat. So that's just building your resilience and your grind and all that. It looks all shiny when you see the Amazons and the, you know, the, the, the unicorn text everywhere. But before that, there's probably 10 skeletons you know, in, in, the, in the thing. And it's the same for, for Brian, for me, for whoever. I don't know one guy who's got a crazy rugby career where he didn't have one bad day, where there was not one personal involvement, you know, that, that uh, casted, is that we say casted a bit of a shadow mm, yeah. on the moment, you know? So it's, in terms of psychology, I think it's fascinating. Um, Cass might deny it, that he didn't have a bad day in rugby, sorry. Like, given that this is show, <laughs> I mean, he, he might deny that there was any regrets or any bad days. <laughs> Very true. No. no, but I basically, I think it's brilliant. When you can, when you can be, like you said, the champion on and off the field, it, it, for me, inspires me even more to respect the player that you were on the pitch because that's the reason why you were so good is because you were curious because you got a good brain about you and that you're ready to actually throw yourself in the deep end and something that you're not comfortable with that you're not the best at but you're going to work bloody hard to get to the best no thanks but i on that topic alex i think you know where ben is also you know incredibly strong is the fact that what you go through as a, as a professional athlete and sometimes don't understand is really that upskilling yourself. So you want to become the best hooker, the best wing, and you do all these things to really try become the best player in the world. But, you know, Ben went back to study, Astro went back to study, and just being able to give you that platform to understand a rugby CV of 15, 16 years, winning trophies is great, but it means absolutely jack, you know, when you go into the business world. If you can't, you know, read a budget or do a, you know, Excel spreadsheet or PowerPoint presentation, you know, all of a sudden people that have been in the industry for 15 to 20 years ahead of you are, are so much further ahead. So if you're not prepared to upskill yourself and learn about yourself, but also learn skills that need to be applied in the business world, you do find yourself wanting because we become sort of spoon feeders. We want everything spoon fed to us throughout our, the course of our careers. And unfortunately, you know, life just doesn't happen like that. I'm very familiar with spoon feeding the two people I normally work with. It's very interesting, actually, Ben, how I, I mean, I've done six years in MarTech, which isn't quite as hot property right now as FinTech and EdTech. But I would love to only have had 10 skeletons. I think I'm on about 40 or 50 right now. And certainly fundraising in the middle of COVID has been quite an interesting journey. I would have loved a World Cup winner's medal, a Super Rugby medal, a couple of Heineken Champions Cup medals, just to help open those doors. I can't imagine, Brian, that you're making the tea and doing the photocopying. I mean, what are you actually rolling up your sleeves and 
getting into? Every yeah, day is a school no, day, so, I know, so, What do you do? Yeah, every day is a school day. I, so my current role is head of business development and sales for Fami Now, and it's pretty interesting. You know, you go through your rugby career and everyone can't wait to talk to you. And after about having to send the sixth <laughs> email to just try to get a reply, it becomes rather frustrating. But like Ben said, it's it's that knuckling down and, and buckling yourself in because it is a it is a difficult and challenging environment. And, you know, if you're not bringing an ROI to a business or improving their processes and flows, um, you're the last on their list of worries. You know, people, particularly in business now, are worried about keeping their people happy, keeping their people, you know, remuneration packages. You know, the last thing they want to do is bring in a new system that you know, takes out resources from the current processes. So it has been challenging. It, you know, there, there are times where you think, you know, how much easier being a professional athlete is. But at the same vein, I think because we're born athletes and the hard work, the dedication, the sacrifice that you applied in rugby, if you appropriately apply it in the business world, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Far from successful, but grateful for, for the opportunities and also being able to understand while you're playing your professional sport that you're building a brand that people want to potentially combine with in, in life after rugby. You know, Benjamin's English has got him into opportunities to to really eloquently portray himself on, on the media front. And there's those small little things that you don't always get when you're playing rugby and you try to pass that knowledge on, but it doesn't always go through. Absolutely. A lot of life lessons here. I tell you what, we'll attach your investment deck to the, uh, to the bottom of this YouTube video for any potential <laughs> investors out there. Good on you. I tell you what, let, let's, I mean, I don't know how the hell with all that that you've just discussed, you're managing to keep about as busy in media as it is possible to be right now and it's a big big summer to come obviously with all things lions i'd love to touch on that towards the end but let's get into the european player of the year which is i suppose the sort of the bedrock of of what we're going to talk about for the next hour or so i'm amazed having looking up and down the list of winners before that we haven't got you on here brian i mean there was pretty much everything else in the game that's in your trophy cabinet was this was a conspiracy of some sort How, how did this not happen yeah, so my first year, I actually missed out on quite a bit of Champions Cup at Toulon, even though we went on to, to win it that year. So it was, was a disappointing first season in Toulon where I had Murad Bujalal telling me out of Argentina that if I don't come back, back to play for Toulon, I'm not going to get a salary at the end of that month. So um, it, it was a pretty interesting experience and then getting injured with a box. But to be honest, I was filled in a team that was just ridiculous. I think, you know, Johnny Wilkinson in my first year, I'm not sure if Benjamin's ever heard God Save the Queen played at Stade de France, but, you know, coming back and winning the top 14 final after that first, you know, Heineken Cup champions for me in, in 2014 was incredible. Um, and then to go on and win the second year, you know, Steph Armitage was phenomenal um, in my first two seasons at Toulon. So, yeah, I mean, again, looking at the names on that list, it's... Um, pretty impressive names that have really given European rugby a lot in terms of commitment and effort of, you know, over the course of what has been exceptional championships to watch. So yes, disappointing. I, I wasn't probably at my best. Um, I did manage to beat Benjamin and Clement in Twickenham in, in 2015, which, um, which wasn't or just bad, but yeah, I probably wasn't, you know, in, in the team of bright, bright stars and incredible talent, you know, wasn't up there, unfortunately. So I'll take the trophies. Um, Player of the year is unfortunately something that um, I'll have to live with. You certainly played your part in some glorious memories for Toulon. I feel like this is quite a sort of chastising show for you, Ben, but we will come on to some some good moments as well. Just to quickly run through, for, for those of you who love these sorts of things, I mean, it's a hell of a who's who when you look back on previous winners. The ERC European Player of the Year came in in 2010. Ronan O'Gara won it. 
obviously one of the greatest in this competition with Munster. In 2011, it was Sean O'Brien. 2012, it was Rob Carney. Obviously, Leinster really in their pomp during that era. Johnny, as Brian mentioned in 2013, was Stefan Armitage of Toulon in 2014. And then, obviously, the tournament rebranded a little bit. EPCR, the European Player of the Year, starting in 2015. Nick Abendanen of Clermont. Maratoje of uh, Saracens in 2016, as they won it for the first time. Then Owen Farrell, as they went back-to-back. Leonie Nakarawa of Racing 92. Obviously had some mega days with Glasgow as well in this competition. Alex Good of Saris in 2019 and Sam Simmons of Exeter Chiefs in 2020. I mean, it is amazing actually this competition, Ben. When you, There's so much romance attached to it and there are so many sort of red-hot memories that we've all enjoyed. But when you look at that list, there are some proper top dogs who've come through and, and claimed this in the past. Who stands out in that list for you? I mean, Nick Abendon obviously as a teammate, I imagine is it's just some incredible memories that you had alongside him. Yeah, and it's in that 2014-15 um, season that that Brian was was alluding to. So he still managed to get it. To be honest, so I am very impressed, extremely jealous to the point where it would wake me up at night because I feel that not only all those teams, so you mentioned Toulon, Leinster and Saracens, if you want to put it this way, not only did they win it, but they build a freaking dynasty and they want it again and again and again. And it was that, that never ending sort of force that you thought, how the hell is anybody going to go at them? And that's why that competition was so special. It's because before Saracens won it two or three times, they lost in that 13-14 final to Brian in the yeah. final. Remember that crazy final? Mm. Obviously, we tried to challenge them loads of times. It's always the same team. So what I mean by that is that yeah, you might have one, you know, a bit of an alien rocking up one season and trying to get to the semi, potentially reaching the final. But for all those guys to repeatedly, all those teams repeatedly get to that level, that means it's it's in their core, in their nature, that they, they want to go and challenge the best and absolutely do that. And I think Toulon builds just such a freak of a squad in, in those seasons where you had the experience, the knowledge, and you saw all those boys, however you could point out their fingers during the season in the top 14, when Champions Cup was was on, they were on and they delivered. And they were the back, the guys, you know, you, the Brian was back with the Springboks jersey and it was a Johnny Wilkinson of the good old days and Bucky's Bota was 19 again. And that's that what was going on. And then, you know, so, so that's what I, I love European rugby for the reason that for me, big players deliver on the big days. Yeah. And Europeans, European mega super days, whatever, definitely are the top of that list. And all those guys who become then legends, you go from being a very good player to being an absolute legend of the sport, deliver on those key moments. So that list that you gave are obviously legends of the sport. And the reason being, it's not because of 15 years of achievements, it's because they delivered when it mattered at the highest level. Yeah. And Ben, obviously, for, some, for someone like you, I suppose, growing up, you know, this, this tournament was part of Saturdays and it was part of the fabric of, of French rugby. Brian, from your perspective, having come in from, you know, having won it, in Super Rugby, I, I, and this isn't a sort of why is Europe better than Super Rugby, but I just was interested in the nuance and the difference that you noticed having played in a remarkable Bulls team and a brilliant Stormers yeah. side, but coming into the chaos and the colour and the razzmatazz of Toulon. I mean, how do you how do you differentiate the two? Yeah, that's uh, aptly you know aptly described, Alex. And I think the biggest thing coming from the Southern Hemisphere up north, you know, you have Super Rugby, and it's just Super Rugby finish that and you go on to Curry Cup or International Rugby. I think the beauty about the Northern Hemisphere and the challenge that it does present is you've sort of intertwined in 
a really passionate local competition in the top 14 one weekend and then all of a sudden you got to completely change your mindset and approach Europe you know and then you go from you know playing a quarter final of a, of a champions or Heineken Champions Cup to going back to top 14 round 16 and then back to semi-final of a Champions Cup back to semi-final of the top 14 and it's that melange of incredible mixture of rugby and mindsets over the course of a season in super rugby you just do super rugby all your focus all your ten- attention and energy and when you play curry cup you can just aim on winning curry Cup. now all of a sudden you got to and then there's the rules of the GIF, particularly in france you know a number of players from international exposure that can actually be selected and i'll, I'll never forget i sat with uh, bernard laporte on many occasions but one particular occasion where in 2016 i had an opportunity to try and make the olympic squad for the for the rio sevens and bernard sat me down and said well if you're going to go then i'm going to get in julian severe and i'm going well if julian comes he can't be a GIF player so you actually need to bring in someone else so that was sort of my counter argument um you know to bernard about why he can't actually drop me from the squad so no I just think that intricacy of going from one weekend of one competition to a completely different competition and then international exposure which I think when I went up north was something I really wanted and the joy about and I think you know, that list of names you mentioned are guys that can easily be potentially become a player of the year on international rugby bar someone like Sam Simmons who I think we're all hoping or bewildered that he hasn't yet you know really stamped his authority on international rugby but you know all those names are people that can easily have been started into a world rugby player of the year tell you what working with Bernard and Murad Bujalal I mean that is unbelievable training for the job (laughs) that you now have in terms of negotiation and how to hustle and how to cut your way out of trouble Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say yeah I I mean I I lost those battles quite a bit Uh, I think there's still a couple of euros there in the Côte d'Azur that that I have my name on (laughs) behind the bar I'm sure for another time okay let's get into this year then obviously the best player in European club rugby tournaments is annually presented with the EPC our European player of the year award after the conclusion of the Heineken champion Cup final, which since 2017 is quite rightly and very aptly known as the Anthony Foley Memorial Trophy, one of the greatest, of course, in Munster Colours and in this tournament. Uh, the winner is determined by a combination of a public vote through the tournament's official website, HeinekenChampionsCup.com, and a panel of extremely distinguished rugby experts who this season include Eric Bonneval of BN Sports, Sonia McLaughlin of BBC Radio 5 Live, Alan Quinlan of Virgin Media. Dimitri Yashvili of France Television and a certain Mr. Brian Habana of Channel 4. Has it been a, a harmonious process to get to this point? Is everyone sort of in agreement or is it quite a little feisty occasion getting to the, sh- yes, the shortlist? Yes, uh, it is quite a feisty occasion getting to the shortlist and it actually becomes even more feisty over the finals because so, we literally don't have a lot of time. I think we checked on the Friday and then like you literally have the last 15 minutes of the final. But I think the beauty about where we've got to now is that in previous years, the fans didn't actually have an opportunity, um, and now they actually play a, a big proportion of you know how the final five gets elected. So the fans really do become a part of it. I mean, there's there's some incredible names on there at the moment. I do think there's one that particularly stands out just in terms of his consistency over the course of the last two years. Um, but it's it's been brilliant to see you know all five of these players you know being whittled down from a top fifteen to a top five, and players that again in a semi final put their hands up and showed that they are fully deserving of this opportunity to, to even be nominated so yeah, yeah it becomes um yeah it, it becomes pretty feisty in terms of the chats that we have and discussions around what reasoning we're going for but i think aptly that five of the best teams in or best players in europe this season are mentioned on this list yeah before we get to the five you've teased it perfectly the long list of the 15 nominees we'll quickly go through those gregory Aldrich, obviously la rochelle levani Bottier of la rochelle anton dupont 
raise an eyebrow, of Toulouse, Tyke Furlong of Leinster, Kevin Gordon of La Rochelle, Robbie Henshaw of Leinster, Mathieu Gelabert of bordeaux Bergler, Jerome Kainer, the old warlord of uh, all-black rugby and now with Toulouse, Hugo Keenan, who has ripped it up for Leinster, Julian Marchand of Toulon, the skipper there, Kotaro Matsushima of Clermont-Auvergne, Roman Untermach of Toulouse, Raymond Rule of La Rochelle, Will Skelton of La Rochelle, and Josh van der Fleer of Leinster. I suppose, Ben, just before we get into to the five shortlisted, I mean, what, what leaps out that is the very heavy presence of French and Irish stars, and, and appropriately so, given who we had in the semi-finals. One of the wonderful things about European rugby is how these sort of dynasties take hold, but also how it sort of tends to go country by country as well. We've had periods of French dominance, Irish dominance, English dominance, and now we're obviously, I think, into, into a very strong period for the French again. I mean, I just wondered when you stand back and look at it, is there a way of putting your finger on why countries tend to take hold of this competition as opposed to just individual clubs? I think there's a, there's a discussion to have or a point to make that if Saracens stayed Saracens, there could have been more English presence. They were still there, right? So Exeter mm. obviously lost to a, for an incredible Leinster side, but it's not like there was 700 Irish provinces waiting there was Leinster, and it's not like there were 700 French teams. So what I mean by that is that there's always going to be a dominance, but we're talking about four teams. The percentage will always be very high and very impactful, and when it's all French final, then it speaks for itself. But in the same time, Saracens would have done a lot of damage. I, I, re- I really do believe it. So, And then the impact of no crowds, of you know playing away, of Exeter losing because of COVID cases, 28-0 in the pool stages in Toulouse. It is a bit of a crazy tournament, right? You've got to overthink what's going on. Toulon got two games cancelled. One was because of them. One was because of the others. You don't know which foot to stand on. It is a complicated moment. All you need to know is that it's fantastic rugby that everybody wants to see. And we're all delighted to have 10,000 people to finally see this spectacle. But I'm saying I'm not actually so sure of how much of a French dominance they will be for the next few years. I'm just sure that Toulouse, when they're hot, they're pretty unstoppable. I think La Rochelle picked the perfect season to actually focus on it mm. and to really, you know, make it a proper target. And, and all of a sudden, they're the, two, they're the number one and number two of top 14 also because they are killing everyone at the moment. So it's also, you know, about, about the hotness. So I think give a chance to the, to the English teams when, when they decide to take it seriously with a bit more people in the crowds, with a bit of a, a, a less impact of the COVID infection rates or whatever, winning the squads. Give a chance, Lens, to, to buckle down and to actually... Or even post lines tour normally is pretty much a French year, so that yeah. could be you could keep on going, but you never know. Uh, and what I mean by that is that rather than focusing on countries, I'd rather focus on clubs and on provinces. And when you focus on the last four, or last eight, whatever, there's some seriously strong teams that them they can go on for a decade. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just on that, I think there is a, a there is an element of building towards something, you know, and I look back to the dynasties of, of the Lancers, the Toulons and, and the Saracens, and, and I think La Rochelle and Toulouse are probably in that same boat where four or five years ago, they started forming a strong core of players that could see them through that. I think someone like Ronan Nagara has come in and brought an international mindset to a team like La Rochelle that was doing okay in, in the top 14 and, you know, Challenge Cup, but all of a sudden brings in just a little bit of that international knowledge of how to win, you know, how to portray yourself. And, you know, that just adds extra bit of spice, you know, and I think what is great to see as Ben alluded to is a lot of the French players 
from a young age now. So we saw that under 20 group from two years ago, um, you know, the likes of Mathieu Jalibert, um, Antoine Dupont coming now through, uh, Julien Marchand, that are really bringing the French, you know, flair forward, but in a way in which is extremely professional. So mm. I don't think, you know, what we're seeing now is just because of the season. It's because of what's been built up over the course of three, four seasons to get to this point. Um, and I'm probably going to disagree with Ben. I think there's a real emphasis now on the French clubs in particular and the youth system coming through that they could probably, you know, keep a stronghold on this competition for for quite a while wow hello Le Bleu. i just i mean i suppose you, you've answered the question i'm going to ask brian but I, I throw it back to you ben i just wonder how much covid has almost snow globed this competition you shake the whole thing up and, and perhaps cards fall slightly differently than they might have done in a more traditional setup or is that is that just looking the wrong way is it all about the cream rising to the top in this competition this year Listen, if, if you try to say, will, would have the last quarterfinals been exactly identical? Absolutely not. You yeah. can't argue that it's not possible. Of course, there were some disappointments. I mean, look, Sale Sharks, I think, did not win a game in the pool stages and they ended up in the eighth final just for that. And they're a good side, don't get me wrong. And they gave, they gave Laosher a run for the money. But, you know, so there's things that are unexplainable. But this is much bigger than rugby. So in the end, that's why I always went back down to listen. I love European rugby. So I was just happy that it was European rugby yeah. in the stands, even with no crowds, even with nobody there. That's fine. So so brush it off. But of course, there is a sense of at some point they had to pick out of a bucket who was going to go in the eight the finals and who was going to host the quarter. So, of course, it's a little bit random. But if you then fast forward to the semis and the final, I think we would have seen the same teams. Because Leinster and Exeter beat themselves, uh, each other, and they were obviously strong contenders, and all the others would have been in the end, whatever. Let's get into the shortlist then. I'd love to get your views on each. I'm not going to ask you to pick a, a winner, because that would possibly be like spoiling the punchline ahead of the final itself. But the shortlist for the Player of the Year this, this season is, number one, and unsurprisingly, Antoine Dupont. We've got Gregory Aldrich in there. We've got Will Skelton, who was remarkable at the weekend. Julian Marchand and the veteran Jerome Kano. There is, I mean, I, I, I don't want to preempt, but there is one name that leaps out of that five and everyone is talking about right now. I, I'm guessing it's Antoine Dupont for you, Brian. Again, without spoiling the punchline, I mean, <laughs> he has to be the front runner. I think everybody would stick his name there. But what a year and what a season. And as someone who's been there and done it and seen and played with remarkable talents, I mean, how much does this guy excite, inspire, and sort of just do you enjoy watching? Nowadays. No, he's he's one of the the players globally at the moment that everyone is just absolutely loving. I think not just because of his ability to score tries. I think his tenacity, his speed, his commitment physically. I mean, he's probably about ninety odd kgs, but he literally you know goes around like an extra loose forward. He gets involved. I think the one thing that I think that is an improvement area is maybe his kicking game. But even though like he's just got this knack to find luck and I think that's particularly and Ben will probably be able to back this but I think his work ethic is phenomenal um, you know I chat to Cheslin a bit and they say his work ethic he's not resting on his laurels and again you go through that list of previous winners and I think one of the key standouts there was work ethic um, but I think his excitement his flair um, the ability he brings to the game you know as a nine being able to show your support lines where he scored a lot of his tries off but you know that's great for youngsters to see because that is, he literally is the complete player at the moment and it's, it's beautiful to watch because every time he is involved, it just gets everyone out their seats. And like I say, his commitment levels are 160%. So he definitely is a front runner, but alongside four other players that have just been incredible throughout the course of this season and potentially last season. You know, some internationals there that have put their hands up. And like I say, you know, anyone in those five could potentially go on and you know, become a world rugby player of the year. 
Absolutely. And as always, it, so much of these things come down to the final and who wins and et cetera, et cetera. So it ain't done yet for DuPont. But what's lovely, Ben, is, is seeing the smile light up on your face because, you know, French rugby, it's had its challenges, et cetera. But we are now pretty much across the board talking about DuPont as the best player in the world. He was the 20, 26 Nations Player of the Year, four tries in the, in the Heineken Champions Cup already this year. I mean, he just has got something very special about him, hasn't he? He does. Listening, I, th- I think he's putting a smile not just on my face, but on everybody. Everybody likes to see. I think Brian mentioned it. It's just, the way that he plays rugby appeals to everyone. He's not just an organizer that can be, you know, Ronald O'Gara, Peter Stringer, you name them. You know, sort of those organizing tactical minds and who can transform a game just by his knowledge. He's super exciting. So in the moment where rugby is is challenged a little bit in its core where are we going where are we heading how are we conquering the u.s how are we going to you know knock on other people's doors other countries doors and be like listen we've got an exciting product here you guys should get excited now you get highlights of brian van and the good old days chasing a cheetah and anton dupont basically at the moment and it's just it appeals to everyone they're like what, what is this thing he bounces off people he's a tiny little thing don't get me wrong he is a unit but he does look smaller than will skelton and so basically, they, you know, they, they love that idea. And that's what we all love about rugby. We need the, we need the Will Skeltons, but we also need the Antoine Dupont. So I think it's good. On the other hand, and I don't mean to influence one of the judges, but I would love it if they saw past how much he is bringing to the game. Because he's, you talk about legacy. He's going to win things for, for a long, long time. He's only 25 or 24 or something. Um, and I would, I would love it if basically the, he if we could only concentrate on his European uh, games where he's been yeah. fantastic, but those other, other players on that list for me have seriously put their hands up mm. in terms of performances. Um, so if you're only focusing on champions cup this year, the hiking cup champions cup, others still need to be looked at. Yeah. Ben, just on that, how, how important, sorry, how important is someone like Fabian Galtier now um, in terms of Anton's growth, you know, as a player, but also as a leader, you know, I think he's got huge leadership abilities, but now, you know, getting into where, you know, Fabian has been great in getting this young French, you know, crop of players loving and changing the way they've seen, you know, how important is Fabian going to be in Anton's growth, you know, more than just the, the number nine? I think it's a really good point to the fact that he, Hugo Mola took him, to a certain stage, right? He's got a lot to give back to Toulouse. Don't forget that he signed from Castres and he was this hot thing already. God-given ability, picked for the French team. But Toulouse, because of who he has around him and because of Hugo Mola's freedom that he gave him on the pitch, really, he took his game to the next level. What Fabien Elti did really well is that he pretty much gave him the clés du camion, the keys to the truck from day one and told him, listen, you're my X factor. So he's got a freedom on the pitch in, in international level that hardly exists of a freedom to make mistakes, and he hardly does, but a freedom to try. And, and that is the type of confidence that you know, Brian. However big, however strong you are, players need a bit of love at some point. And especially at international level, where we've got so much pressure. When the French team was seriously you know, uh, wobbling about, uh, and it's, it's a bit of a, it's a proper responsibility to say that you're going to save us. You know, it's a different if you get, you're going to save us, but if you make mistakes, mate, we'll, we'll back you. We've got you. We were behind you. But there's also the, the last point that I want to make is the whole mindset that Fabien Alki just printed on everyone is the fact that European rugby matters, international rugby matters, but it's a different animal than top 14. Top 14 is super tough, but it's a different animal. And European rugby is going to be the pathway to it. So, and all those boys now are, are live it. And, you know, Greg Aldrit is, is loving that. And after the game against Leinster, he said, oh, are we happy to be, to have made history again and to be in the final? He's like, well, well it's there for the taking. 
we're still hungry. We still want to go. They, they've made an absolute focus on it. And I think it's delightful. One just quite interesting aside, which I'd, I'd love to get both of your views on. I was just looking back to the previous winners. O'Gara, O'Brien, Carney, Wilkinson, Etoje, Farrell, Good are all very much leaders within their setup as well. Sam Simmons really coming up in that regard at Exeter Chiefs. I just wondered whether your, your views, I suppose, Ben, on, on Dupont as a leader. Actually, you look at the other four nominees, Aldrich, Marchand and Kena, with huge leadership roles as well. Do you see Dupont as not just the talisman in the way he plays, but the leader of men in terms of that sort of captaincy material? Or would you like? Would you? Would you rather he was free just to get on and do what he does? Yeah, I, I wouldn't see him as captaincy material, but that doesn't mean that he's not an important leader. Mm. You know, captaincy is is a massive responsibility. It's it's different, but you, you, it's a different role that, to be honest, can be a burden for a lot of guys. For fantastic leaders that still have other abilities, I do think he would sort of go in the way of his freedom, of his intuition, of his creativity, of his impact he's got on the pitch. If, on the pitch, if you did add that, that's why you're bringing me to my next point, and I'm chuffed that I think Julien Marchand is having the best season I've seen a hooker have for a long, long time. He's 24 or something. He was captain of Toulouse when he was 23. And he's got to, to take on the leadership responsibility and burden. And on top of that, deliver as a player. So I think that's why he's one of those guys with Jerome Kano is just a, an absolute legend of this sport and who deserves all the praises. Um, okay. And that's why they're putting their hands up. Unlike you, someone like yeah, someone like someone like Julian literally can't be a captain because he's got a Jerome Kahn, he's got a Cheson Colby, he's yeah. got an Anton Dupont, he's got these guys in and around him, you know, that are really allowing him to be the processes, but also bear a bit of that leadership that Absolutely. is put on them. Um, and I think that is then you know really bringing to the fore their prowess as rugby players. Yes, they're leaders in their specific positions, and if you look at a, at those good teams that created a dynasty, Alex. It's not just a Johnny Wilkinson. It's not just a Ronan Nogara. You know, there's five, six leaders within a team, you know, that gets you to that point and keeps that, that level of incredible standard going. So it's good to see the Toulouse because it's the same Toulouse that we saw winning a top 14 final last year. It's a team that is building leadership skills within the individuals, but those individuals are really grabbing that opportunity and, and bringing it to the fore. It's sort of one of those unwritten rules. Really. It's a bit like Leicester in the Premiership in England. You know, a strong Leicester makes for a good competition. A strong Toulouse in Europe just makes for a richer tournament. And it is brilliant to see them back at the sharp end once again. Talk to me about a bit more about Marchand, just in terms of, obviously you mentioned his leadership, but just in terms of the, the wrecking ball around the field as well and, and the work that he's got through to get him onto this list. Well, for one, I know in England everybody raises about Camisha's physical... The no, neck, exactly. His neck is a, his, his neck is like a tree trunk. So of yeah. course you can't really miss him. But Julien Marchand next to Camisha has got nothing on him. I'm telling you, he is a big old block of muscle who goes through a lot of work. What I love about him, I know him personally, so he's sort of a family friend and stuff. I, I follow him when he was 15, 16. I gave him some pair of boots, and then he beat me for my last yeah. game of, of you know in, in 2019. Well, he, he didn't play poor thing, but his team of, of Toulouse did. So no hard feelings, but uh, I, I follow him closely. No I just think I just think it's a big old challenge when you're 23 to be the captain of Toulouse. And I agree totally with Brian. You have Jérôme Cano, who's humble enough, who, who doesn't want to be the captain. So he's only there to help. He's there to take on a bit of that burden off, off his shoulders and let him be the leader that he wants to be. But I just think 
never forget that a year ago, he was the second hooker of the French team. Camisha was the hot thing taking over after, after Guillaume Girardot. He was only injured in February 2020 for that opener against, uh, against England. And he took on that number two jersey, never let it go. Like Brian said, it's very hard to go from international rugby back to the, not the gutters, but, you know, to the mud and, and the fight and the grit, especially when you play hooker because you can't really hide, of top 14. And he does that week in, week out, relentlessly. So I've got a huge amount of respect for his work ethic, huge amount of respect for the responsibility he took on for Toulouse as a leader. And on top of that, I really do feel he's getting better. He's getting better week in, week out, and just adding a little something to his game. And so I'm, I'm absolutely delighted for him. Good on him. Let's pick up on one of your old sparring partners, Brian. I suppose sparring in a, in a sort of looser sense in terms of Jerome Kano. I mean, A, remarkable form. But I just, from, from your perspective, remarkable form at the end of a remarkable career. I mean, how much do you learn about the man, given that he's won two World Cups with New Zealand and here he is championing the cause for Toulouse six years on from, from lifting the Webelos Trophy at Twickenham. I mean, it's, a, it's an extraordinary story of no, sustainability, it's, isn't it? No, it's great. I got to play against Jerome in the under-21 Rugby World Cup in Edinburgh in Scotland in 2004, and it's sort of making me feel why am I not at the pitch still? I um, was there, man. Uh, <laughs> Were you yeah, there as well? Ben was there, ben was there as well. Uh, and I, I, didn't, I didn't play I, the I, final. I didn't play the final. <laughs> no, I, we were I, way I gone. We were already in the plane. Yeah. No, I also didn't play the final. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget, I've got Jerome kind of tackling me so hard off the ball. He got a yellow card, um, and we still joke about it today. But just from that age, he was just phenomenal. And you look at the legacy that he's created, but one of the beauties that I really love about Jerome is his off-field personality. He's probably one of the most humble human beings you'll know. He's an incredible family man, always willing to open up his home, open up his you know place of wherever he is to welcome people in. And just so again, the the career that he's had, the legacy that he's left is something that few people you know are ever going to be able to create in 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 their professional athlete career. And like I said, I think because of his humility off the field, but the manner in which he doesn't take a step backwards um, and leaves every bit of himself on that field is something that his teammates, but also the opposition really respect about him. Yeah, which is brilliant. And I was going to say, Ben, I mean, a lot of people go to France to play that rugby. Not all of them leave with reputations like Brian or Johnny Wilkinson, etc. But he'll be one of them. Yeah, I was going to say, you'd have to, you'd have to be a hard, harsh judge not to put Kano in that category, wouldn't you? Uh, he's already got it. He's already got it, mate. Never, in, in, the, in the story, basically, they, they were looking to replace Thierry Dussautoir. So that's pretty big boots to fill in Toulouse, right? They, they're almost like in the, in the NBA. They wanted to hang up that number six jersey, you know, in the stadium, and nobody could ever touch it. That was a little bit that. And they only went to pick up another legend of the sport. I mean, if you're going to replace anybody, apart from Richie McCall, whatever, it was going to be Jerome, right? And so they went to get him. But at, at the end of his career, already two World Cup in, in, in the bag. And you would think, what is his attitude going to be? We've seen so many, not horror stories, but disappointing stories of guys who never really wanted to commit completely. I think he won everybody over in about six months. When he played second row for a good six or seven games during the year, because the guys were just out. So the boy's like, listen, he's won everything there is to win. He never tells anybody what to do. He just tries to help. He leaves, like Brian said, absolutely everything he's got in the tank on the pitch. And on top of that, he's rolling his sleeves up and playing and playing in the lock and never complaining. It's like, this guy's got nothing to prove, but he gives absolutely everything. So he's, 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 a, he's a legend. He's got that already. Symbolically, when you're trying to also to be even classier, in 2019, Julien Marchand is injured. He did his ACL. And Jerome Kano lets him lift the trophy when they win the final. And he's the one that I've asked afterwards. He's the one that got him to, to come up. 
I'm like, right. So when when you when you're already a pretty slick dude, you only out outdo yourself again. So there's there's no word to describe to describe uh, him apart from legend. From Jerome Kenner, who's obviously been there, done it, and got the T-shirt, to to Will Skelton, who's obviously been there and done it in the Heineken Champions Cup before, obviously with Saracens. There were one or two people who wondered whether he would be as if I was going to say effective, but possibly remain fit in the way that he was with Saris when he went to La Rochelle and all the treats that are on offer there. But holy Moses, Rogers got the best out of him again. Has he kicked on Skelton in your point? In your point of view? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I watched that semi-final on the weekend. Um, and again, you, you get players like Ben said coming into you know a French league and there's expectation and a lot of those don't meet those expectations but I think Will's been absolutely phenomenal in the resurgence that we've seen with La Rochelle um, over the course of the last year and a half and again these players are coming in and literally playing their hearts out you know and fully committed and I think that's that's the biggest thing you you always look at commitment and the, the names on these lists are people that are fully committed to the cause and you know, I look at this past weekend. I mean, he was bulldozing. You know, he, yeah. he's sort of like a believe in a polo when believe in a polo. You know, when he gets on the go, you know, it's five, six players try to stop him, and he was a hazard every time he got his hands on the ball. Defensively, you know, try to run into that that piece of what's 125 kgs, okay, maybe 135 uh, kgs. Uh, <laughs> a lot more than that. Before the <laughs> as being gone um but i just think it's brilliant to see you know guys coming into the, the french league and and still putting their hands up and saying we are 150 percent fully committed and will again is deservedly on this list not because of his history not because of what he did for saracens but because of his level of play that he's been producing week in week out for la rochelle over the course of last year and it's, and it's brilliant to see and long may that continue because i really believe you know australia have missed a trick not including you know a guy like this as often as mm-hmm. possible but wow have saracens and la rochelle profited from that it would be amazing to see him back in that gold jersey at some point. I suppose the other way of sort of framing it, Ben, is that cult status in, in French rugby comes in many forms and there are class players who deliver exactly what you expect of them. And then there are players who you're not quite sure what you're going to get, but you get brilliance. And I just wonder whether Skelton is one of those who is earning that sort of cult status, not perhaps with the same levels of expectation, but because he is delivering just some mega rugby. It was never a question of saying, is he going to bump off a few people along the season? <laughs> of course, look, he's an absolute unit of a man and he's a very good rugby player. But I played him a fair few times against Saracens. A lot of the times he was on the bench. Mm. It was for a reason. Of course, you had Maui Toji, George Cruz and all those guys. But still, it, it was a matter of saying you can use him as an impact player, this and that. So you mentioned Ronan O'Gara after a few times. There's also John O'Gibbs. Yeah. Who's yeah. next to him. Who knows that's a, that's a, a very fair two, catch call. Who, who knows a thing or two about about <laughs> the Champions Cup? Who knows knows a thing or two about Leinster in particular? And yeah. he knows a thing or two about being powerful, but then not being efficient. And he knows European rugby, then international rugby, is about efficiency. But what you guys probably maybe don't know is that La Rochelle has always, have always been massive. They've been renowned for being this. After Winnie Antonio, there's been Levani Botia, and before Will Skelton, they had the huge Fijian sacrament on Johnny Kovu. Who they called baby because he had a baby face. But my word, he could he would eat the baby for breakfast. He's just a huge fella, and so they've always been massive, but they're never very efficient. They were particularly not unfit. That's not true, but maybe not particularly reliable in terms of intensity over eighty minutes. Yeah. What I loved about it in in, in Leinster is that Will Skelton was super powerful with his mates Aldrit and Antonio and Botia and you name them. All that with Carbarlo and Aya West, who had some seriously good games. Yeah. The both of them. 
they were efficient, pragmatic. You could tell there was a proper strategy around it, not wasting any, any, any amount of energy. And after the first 15 minutes that were a bit shaky, they bullied them for the next 65. And that was, I was very impressed because they, it was the right balance between power and smartness of strategy. Well done, Will Skelton. Well done, La Rochelle. And, and finally, Gregory Aldrich as our fifth nominee on the shortlist. I mean, if you're looking at the star power of Dupont and the box office of Skelton and the, the sort of the all action of Marchand and just the cool, calm and collected of Kano, is Aldrich in some ways the sort of the man who just makes things happen? I mean, not, not sort of the unsung hero, but do you know what I mean? Just, Brian, the, the man who just gets on with it type thing? Or is that, un- is that underselling him? I think it is underselling him, but I'm not quite sure if Benjamin will agree with me here. But he's almost like a Richie McCaw in in the French leagues at the moment. Um, he's unassuming in terms of his relentless. He works like he's almost everywhere on the field the whole time. He finds himself in the right places, not because he's lucky, because he's working extremely hard to get himself into those places. He's almost never on the floor. I mean, he tackles and he's literally up within a second or two. Um, so he's a guy that's again he's unassuming, but he's extremely impactful because of his workmanship. And I think it's brilliant to see and. Again, it's not something that he's created over the course of the last six months. You know, he's really been coming up the ranks over the course of the last three, four years and got to a point where he's potentially unassuming, but he's also potentially the first name that a coach puts on his on his team sheet because he's just he's he's just the person that if you want something to go to, if you know that you know someone's not gonna let your team down, uh, Gregory Aldret is is that. Yeah, I think you you've put it in perfectly. He's the first name down. I reckon he's the coach's dream. I think that's what William Salvat and stuff were telling me with the French team he's a coach's dream because he is your Billy Vonipola of the good old days where you always know you're gonna, you're gonna make a meter and he's got the work ethic to, to back it up he plays every minute of possible rugby for La Rochelle and, and, and international coaches hate uncertainty right Antoine Dupont is outstanding but he has made some in the past touch wood not anymore uh, some sometimes some silly mistakes because that's his way of playing you know, you can you can make a mistake. Aldrit is your reliable, consistent power machine who will win you that advantage line. And on top of that is a fantastic de- defensor. Absolutely. One of those players who just gives you 8 out of 10 every week with the odd 9 and the odd 10. Frankly, that's yeah. what you're looking for. You touched on the final. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I mean, it's Toulouse with the pedigree. La Rochelle with the form? Question mark? Or is that too simplistic, Ben, Brian? Oof. Are we looking at a proper flick of the coin? Yeah, I mean, I think seeing how, how La Rochelle, you know, came over Lenson this weekend, again, it, it's the first 15 minutes you thought, nah, you know, Lenson's just going to have too much experience. But again, how they, for literally the last 65 minutes, sort of bullied that Lenson's team. Uh, Toulouse had a little bit of a different game. The weather wasn't quite adapted. I'm not quite sure what the forecast is for a couple of weeks' time over, over in London. But if it is sunny, like it was, Ben, in, in 2015, you know, I think we're on for, for a great game of exhibition rugby in terms of there, there are literally two teams that are willing to have a crack at any stage. I mean, you know, La Rochelle running from their 22 to lose with Anton Dupont and Cheslin Colby, you know, are going to potentially be, you know, have to watch the whole time. So I think it's set up for a cracking final. I'm hoping the weather plays their part. And again, now you sort of add the fans in and that brings an extra element of excitement, which I think is going to be absolutely brilliant. So I think it is a toss of a coin for me. I'd be hesitant to say the one or the other because both are just been brilliant at the moment. It's first against second in the top 14 as well, isn't it? I mean, we this might be the first of quite an interesting few games between them over the next few weeks or so but I mean I just wonder Ben from your perspective we often hear and talk about teams having to earn their way to the title and and Munster did it for years Claremont obviously have had a number of run-ups at it Saracens likewise 
does pedigree count in a game like this or has time passed since Toulouse last won it and therefore that is incidental? I think it does. I, I think it does. But um, listen, I, I was with, I saw Gareth Thomas on Saturday. I was working for Channel 4 and he said, he said, 2005, I'm there. You can have all the international experience as you want. And I'm sitting there and it's only Fabian Pelouse who's telling me minute by minute, this is what happens in the Champions Cup final. That knowledge is, is pretty un- unreal. And they've got four stars on their jersey to lose. I just think if, if, if everything goes as planned and they're hot and they're on form, and like Brian said, the weather doesn't, doesn't um, have a huge impact on things, I just think Toulouse will be an unstoppable. But for me, on top of Will Skelton and Winetonio and Botia and all those guys, not the real assets, but the, the real key sort of card that, that they've got that can play last minute La Rochelle is the knowledge that is backed up by Ronald O'Gara and Jono Gibbs. They will come up with something special. Yeah. They will come up with something that Toulouse have never seen before that can just catch them off guard. And I, I don't believe that, that La Rochelle will need to come to 10 finals to then win their 11th one. I really do believe that it's, it's a special year. Things happened. There's going to be 10,000 fans, but it's not 90 roaring at you. And I just think if, if it's there for the taking, they will not hesitate uh, a second. We shall see. It is going to be a belting final. And I'm sure ticket details, if they haven't already, will be released very soon. The night before that, we've obviously got uh, Leicester against Montpellier in the Challenge Cup. It's brilliant to see Leicester back in a, a European final. I just want to start with Montpellier, though. I mean, third from bottom in the top 14. Our dear friend David Flatman put out on Twitter, we mentioned this on our show, yeah. there is absolutely no way Bath are going to lose to Montpellier this weekend. Yeah. So welcome to Montpellier into the Challenge Cup final. Bath left licking their wounds. I don't know whether that says more about Flats, Bath, or, or, or just <laughs> trying to pick that game in general. But Montpellier, I mean, can they? I mean, is it lightning striking twice, thrice, if, if they can get this again? Have they got enough to keep the run going? A couple of World Cup winners, isn't there? Um... South Africa will be a lot big, big, big box presence. A couple of World Cup winners on, on both sides. So yeah, again, I think they, you know, how they managed to you know to come from behind and, and sort of seal it in, in those last couple of minutes was, was phenomenal. It's great to see Andre Pollard, you know, back after a very long time, um, and a guy who, because of his experience, um, you know, can really steady that ship against a lesser side, like I said, that we've always wanted to see back at the the top echelons of. Mm. of European rugby. So I think that's brilliant. And hopefully in the morning, Adolo um, would want to put something against his, his old teammates uh, this, uh, you know, the, this, this time around. So it's going to be an absolutely spicy game to watch. Absolutely brilliant. So I, I was there. I was there, Alex. And I'm telling you, you look at the lineups and I'm thinking, what a waste on both sides. There's Faletao, Underhill, Zach Mercer, Watson, uh, the monster, what's his name? Kokanaziga on, on yeah. the wing, Jonathan Joseph, whatever. And I'm thinking, hang on, are, they, are these guys struggling? Are these guys not wanting to go? And then you turn your face on the other side. Warren Gatlon was sitting five meters, meters away from me. By the way, I threw a joke at him. I was like, you know, you can't pick these guys. But he didn't. He didn't. Right. Like, <laughs> did like Steady him. face? Steady face, yeah. yeah. Uh, pretending like he didn't hear me. And then on the bench for Montpellier, there's Cobus Renac and André Pollard. I'm like, guys, I mean, it's, it's, the talent of players was just second to none. Uh, Montpellier had to hard graft about 17 or, I don't know, 18 phases, sequences, repetitively close to the lines of pick and goes from Bath, and they just dug deep and got out of there. That's a team that cares. That's a team that really wants to deliver. André Pollard, like you mentioned, I, obviously I looked at him when he came on, and the first tackle that he has to make is on Kokonaziga, who was launched 35 meters straight into his face. Mm-hmm. Anybody, you know, would have been sort of letting yeah. go, sliding, it's yours, it's yours. 
He just dived into the knees. That's a guy who wants to perform. And, that's, and he kicked the winning penalty at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So I really think these, these, these teams absolutely care about it. Bath were desperate to get into the final to sort of save their season. Montpellier are desperate to, to, to get there too. And I think they've got the edge on Leicester. My only issue, because I was speaking to Philippe Saint-André after the game, is that now they're going to have to play eight games in six weeks. So they're playing right. this weekend. Then they're playing Tuesday again against Toulon. And then they will they they got one more league game before the final, so they're gonna have to start playing in the week, rotating squads, and they're only four or five points from the relegation and top fourteen. So yeah. it's gonna be pretty stressful. Trophy is a trophy. Um, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how that plays out, and it is gonna be so good to have fans back in the stadium, as you said, Brian. Quick hot potato just to finish on Europe, and I'd love to ask you about the Lions, as we said, best Challenge Cup final or best um, Heineken Champions Cup final that you can think of which which when you look back or, or game in general when you look back at either games you played in or memories that you've watched games that you've watched pick us a winner what would you reach for in the DVD collection if you could you want me to start Brian I'll say yeah, Challenge no. Cup final I'll say 2019 because that's my last title and I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, best final to watch is definitely not one of mine because as you guys repeated 15 times and I'm still sore about Sorry. it I lost them a lot uh, I love you Brian by the way but it's the last time you mentioned 2015 because you, you went there at least four times so that's way enough way enough fifth time I'm on the <laughs> you were um, but but no no some 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 fantastic days what I, the one that stands out to me I think it's 2012 it's the Leinster Northampton the massive comeback oh yeah because I know it's 2010 I, I, is it 2010? I think it was 2010. I can't remember. I love that one. I, I love that one. Just just for the symbolic of saying, you know, you know, I heard the story of Johnny Sexton, who was only 25 at the time or something, who apparently had a massive speech and then yeah. you know, rallied everyone. And they chased, what, a 22-3 uh, lead from, from Northampton and won it. So I think it's, it's a pretty cool story. That was Liverpool, yeah, for, in, Liverpool in Istanbul was the inspiration, wasn't it? Sorry, Brian, you were going to yeah, say. So, for me, it was actually 20, 2013. Um, and sorry, again, Benjamin. Um, but, you know, with that final in, in, uh, in Dublin. Um, but it wasn't really for, for the rugby. It was the story that Murad Bujalal had left at halftime um, and was the first person back on the field when, when Toulon lifted, lifted the cup. <laughs> so, ahead of my first season, um, that, that was pretty, pretty special, hearing those stories sort of set the, set the tone for, for what might happen when I get there. But again, that sort of started Toulon's legacy and I wasn't a part of it, you know, but watching from afar, you know, knowing the aspirations of wanting to be a part of a team that would, you know, continue success to see how the manner in which they did it there to start that legacy and you know, sort of made it becoming a part of that legacy that much more special. So, yeah, 2013 for the, for the off-field stories, but also the legacy that started for, for Toulon. If I was a detective, I would possibly suggest there would be another show in this in your relationship with Murad. <laughs> We're close. We're close. Brian. Consummate pro, Brian. I can tell you. Just quietly <laughs> knocking that one back to the bowler. No runs scored. Go on, Brian, because obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot to look forward to in, in Europe, but there is also looming on the horizon the Lions Tour. You are going to be a busy man over the next few weeks, but give us a quick snapshot. How is How are the levels of anticipation in South Africa? And how, how much will they tune in on Thursday as well to, to see who's selected? Oh, definitely. I mean, Jock Minova will, will be front and centre seeing, you know, what Warren Gatlin picks in terms of his captain firstly, because I think that's something that everyone is waiting for with bated breath. Um, and then, you know, who actually gets selected? I think there's some players that will, you know, be selected on reputation, but there are some really strong, you know, informed players that, you know, have any ability to make it. And I think the beauty about the Lions, and I know it potentially will be either with fans or with a, a reduced number of fans, but 
for a South African and, a, and an All Black or, or a Wallaby, you know, you only get this experience once every 12 years. And, you know, yes, the South African players in particular playing down in South Africa haven't had international exposure, unfortunately, since Super Rugby got canned, you know, because of COVID last year. The last game the Springboks played was, you know, that World Cup final you know, on the 2nd of November in 2019. So a lot of effort needing to be put in. But it's just such a unique experience and everyone has had to unfortunately adapt because of COVID without fans and, and all of this. And the Lions will be extremely disappointing because without the traveling fans, um, it is just maybe a less of a spectacle. But for those players, it is still as a incredibly unique and privileged opportunity and honor to get to experience being a part of, of the tour. So I know the players will be raring to go. I think, you know, Warren Gatlin becoming potentially the first Lions coach to not lose a series coming up against the World Cup winners is going to make it just that much more spicy. And I think, you know, given what might happen on Thursday in terms of selection and a couple of eyebrows raised, the players are going to want to come down to South Africa, being in a bubble and all, but show that they deserve to, you know, take back the title that they lost in 2009. An answer that breaks hearts in this part of the world on, on every level. 2009, obviously, you played your part in, in the damage on that day. The World Cup final, perfect, keep it coming. We all, we're all living in a Brian Habana wonderland at the moment, aren't we? <laughs> Thanks for all of that. We've touched on lines already. I just, I just would be interested, actually, from your perspective, whether it captures the hearts of people who are not in any way, shape or form engaged in it from a supporters or a playing perspective. I mean, will you be into it? Well, absolutely. It's actually the ideal solution. Because I, I, I would just want the best team to win. And it's an absolute delight. I mean, listen, every not every Frenchman, but a lot of Frenchmen watched the 1997, uh, what's his name? John Telf- Teffler? Jim, Jim Telfer. Jim Teffler. Jeremy uh, Gus speeches and all that. Looking for. Yeah. Everybody watched that and half of the French population didn't understand, but they love it. They feel that passion and that love for the and pride of the jersey and all that. Listen, we always want to see the Mike Tyson against the biggest uh, next guy, right? And that's what we're talking about. So we're only jealous because France are never invited. But to be honest, it wouldn't make sense. Uh, it, it just wouldn't unless you do a World 15, but you, 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 you can't. And that's, that's just not the same. That clash of culture, uh, the fact that they play during the week, so they play the local sides and stuff that I, I adore. The fact that it's absolutely impossible to pick a side for a World Cup. So imagine a Lions tour. Mm. It's just simply undoable. And all different nationalities going together. No, listen, I, it's, it's the best moment. Watch that quality rugby delivered on the screen. I can't wait to watch it. Oh, man. And Ben said if he's, he's back in South Africa when we were together in November. Um, so, Ben, that's, you did say South Africa are going to win. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry you're, you're, you're both breaking up at this point, unfortunately. No, no, we're so running no, out of ben, time. Ben, that was like, yeah. we didn't even take a bet. We said we both like easily South African win. <laughs> you, you also then mentioned 2015 World Cup, so my, uh, you know, uh, European <laughs> final. So. Ben, it's been, it's been lovely having you as a member of the Good, the Bad and the Rugby. You can see yourself out at this point. Go, show us the T-shirt because we haven't seen it yet. Give everyone a bit of a oh, flash. Yes. Look at that. Oh. But I think yours is sold out, actually. C'est le Yeah. Sorry, Lord, can, sir. sir, I've I've missed out. What is we're, we're, so? So we have a shambolic selection of T-shirts which involve ha- don't Haskell the half, the Lord's work for Mike, the button that they are for Ben. Ellis Gen just got one which is the loose rhino, and I've very sweetly been given no pain and no gain. Brian, we'll we'll have one commissioned by Umbro for you, and it'll, it'll just be gold. It'll just <laughs> shimmer, <laughs> just shimmer and be gold. Just a couple of trophies on each. Oh, one. brilliant! Very on brand. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you. It's really nice to talk to people who know their rugby and love their rugby and actually are clued up on their rugby. It's, it's a rarity for what it is that we do. But um, thank you both very much. Actually, Brian, we're going we're gonna to hopefully have a bit of fun 
with Sky in the next few weeks as well. Yeah, it's going to be um, going to be good in a bubble. Yeah. Me and you closely, mom. You might be rid of me, uh, much like you are of Haskin and turns off the no, no, no. Trust me, I, I, I'm, I'm much more excited about working with Pedigree. <laughs> Look after yourself in the meantime. Thank you for uh, Brian for dialing in. Good luck with selecting the winner when the time comes. It's a hell of a shortlist, and may the best man win in this uh, golden day and age. Here's to some fabulous uh, finales in both the Challenge and Heineken Champions Cups in a few weeks' time. And good luck if you get one of the golden tickets to get into Twickenham for either of those. That is it for our bonus Good, Bad and Rugby this week. Well done, Ben. Thank you to the legend it is Mr. Brian Habana. Don't forget the show earlier in the week. If you missed it, I had a fairly tough time trying to bully Haskin Tins into picking an all-time Lions 15 from the professional era. Some very interesting omissions and some fairly big names who will not be answering our calls anytime soon. We'll be back next week, though, with what's left of the good, the bad and the rugby. In the meantime, all yours, Rob Bryden. Look after yourselves. Be nice and be kind. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Ben. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to the good, the bad and the rugby. It can't have been easy.